Please turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 4. Are we on? Yes. We're just going to... We're just going to focus on one verse this morning, and it's on the subject of prayer. Uh, So Nick has set us up wonderfully already. The title for this morning's message is Essential Ingredients for a Healthy Prayer Life. We should get that up on the screen in a mo. And we're looking at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. So here's our verse for this morning. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let me read that again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, Now, one problem that, of course, arises the moment we get to a verse on prayer or a message on prayer is that most of us immediately feel like failures. Most of us, if not all of us, certainly me, feel that we don't pray nearly so often as we ought or would like, that we don't put enough time and effort into prayer, and that when we do pray, we often struggle to know how to pray and what to pray. And so to be reminded of the importance of prayer is convicting, which is a good thing, but it can easily tip us over into feelings of shame and condemnation that are not helpful. So so I'm very aware this morning we can approach a, a sermon like this with a certain degree of apprehension. Or perhaps we come to it already switched off because we've given up long ago trying to be a more regular prayer. There are many unhelpful things that we might already be feeling 60 seconds into this morning's message. And yet, I don't believe for a second that guilt and condemnation are the divinely intended effect of this verse. That is not God's heart towards us this morning as he meets with us now to speak to us about prayer. These words are meant to be encouraging and inspiring and equipping. And here's why. First of all, because as we've seen, they come towards the end of a letter that has just been full to the brim with what God in Christ has so graciously done for us and what he is day by day doing graciously in us. We've seen that we are God's workmanship, We're his restoration project, saved by grace, not by works. We're being renewed in Christ's image through the Spirit's power, not our own. And so the resounding and repeated encouragement all through Colossians so far has been fix your eyes upon Jesus. See what he has done and what he is doing. Remember his complete supremacy and his all-sufficiency, which means he is always on hand to offer us all manner of help when we need it, when we need his grace. That's the first reason these words here are not intended to condemn us. They are given to encourage us because they're surrounded in this letter by grace upon grace upon grace. The second reason these words are full of hope, not condemnation, is that the very invitation to pray is proof that we have a divine and all-sufficient helper, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that, that we have a mighty means by which to appeal to him for help whenever and wherever we need him. We have this gift of prayer. And oh, how we need him. Because to live as a Christian is hard, isn't it? To live as a Christian is no easy task. It it is a call, as we've seen in recent weeks, 
to live an ordinary life in an extraordinary way. To put off sin and put on a Christ-like character. To be rooted and built up in him. To resist false teaching and religious deception. To seek the things that are above and not the things that are on earth. A call to serve Christ in our homes and in our work. To love one another and to love the lost. All things considered, that is a glorious assignment that we have as Christians. And it's a tough assignment. And one that would overwhelm every one of us if we were left to tackle it on our own. But God has given us divine help. God has given us himself and the means to ask him for anything and everything we need in prayer. The Lord has literally stationed himself at the ready to hear and respond to every genuine request and need that we have according to his kindness and wisdom and might. And that's why this passage this morning is not meant to shame us, but encourage us. Because it reminds us that our help comes from the Lord. And that we can approach him always to ask him for the grace and help we need. So, so if, like me, you come here this morning a weak and struggling prayer, let's come hopeful, not hopeless. Because the Lord Jesus himself wants to meet us in our weakness, speak to us words of divine encouragement, and lead us on in following him and depending on him in prayer. That's his heart for us this morning. Now, here in this short verse, which, which is so easy to skim over when we read Colossians, but here in this short verse, I think Paul actually lays out for us three key ingredients for a healthy prayer life. Three key ingredients that together can help every believer, no matter where we're at right now, to grow in regular, consistent, faith-filled prayer. I actually think each one of these ingredients are essential, that that if we remove one of them, or we haven't really thought much about one of them, then, then our desire and our commitment to pray will inevitably dwindle and falter and fail. But if we include each one of these that we're going to look at, our prayer life, I believe, will undoubtedly flourish and grow. So uh, what are these three essential ingredients for a healthy life of prayer? Well, for the, for the visually minded amongst you, uh, there we go. Jam's not actually that healthy, is it? But uh, we'll assume there's something healthier in the jar. Uh, but here we go. Here's, here are the three ingredients Paul gives us for a healthy life of prayer. Effort, awakeness, and gratitude. So we're just going to look at each of those in turn this morning. First of all, prayer life ingredient number one, effort. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer requires effort, which is perhaps not what we were hoping to hear right at the start, that prayer requires effort. But I think this is really actually very helpful and reassuring for us. Who here finds prayer an effort at times? Anyone find it hard work? Well, here Paul says that's okay, that's normal, that's right and to be expected. Prayer is not effort-free. So don't give up on prayer or don't think, oh, I'm just not a natural prayer because it takes effort for me to pray. No, prayer takes effort. Prayer requires, firstly, intentional effort. It requires intentional effort. And in fact, I think real devotion to anything in life requires intentional effort. Think about some of the things you are most devoted to in your life, be it uh, family, friends, hobbies, 
church, job, sports team that you follow. We all have things that are important to us in life, things that we consider precious and valuable. And the evidence of our devotion is our intentionality in giving ourselves to them. We, we make an intentional effort to do the things we really consider important. So I'm going to share something that will surprise many of you this morning. Um, but uh, I used to support a football team. As a child, I used to support Nottingham Forest Football Club with my dad. Okay, so no nasty comments because it's me and my dad. Uh, we would watch and we'd even go to many of their matches and I saw them win cups and all sorts of things. Um, I don't remember them losing, but I'm sure they did. And we'd follow their progress avidly. I had a Nottingham Forest scarf and various souvenirs. We were intentional and active in following them because we were in at least some measure devoted to them. Now, I could still claim to be a devoted Forest fan today, especially now I hear they've been promoted back to the Premier League. Is that right? I don't know how long that will last. But, but the reality is, if I don't set aside any time, make any effort to intentionally watch them, keep track of them now, cheer them on, if perhaps I just settle for accidentally hearing how they're doing every so often, thinking that maybe I'll just stumble across their match results by chance but I have no desire to intentionally keep an eye on them, then that you'd be right to wonder if I'm really still devoted to them, which I'm not, uh, but I could be. Real devotion doesn't lead to passivity or disinterest. It leads to intentional effort. That's the sign that it's real devotion. And devotion to prayer is the same. We all know we should be devoted to prayer, and in fact, when we think clearly about what prayer is, that it's talking directly with our Father in heaven, we all feel, I think, like we want to be devoted to prayer. But prayer, like most other things worth doing in life, isn't something that just happens to us and takes place by accident. Precisely because it's so precious and powerful and valuable, it requires that we invest intentional effort into it. Secondly, it takes, Paul tells us, regular effort. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer for the Christian is not meant to be a one-off event or something only used in emergencies. It is something that we're encouraged to do often. So if you go through the book of Acts, you see the early church, the, the disciples continually devoting themselves to prayer. <clears throat> in the Gospels, you see Jesus often rising early, going somewhere on his own to pray. In the New Testament letters, the Ephesians are exhorted to pray at all times in the Spirit. The Thessalonians to pray without ceasing and the Romans to be constant in prayer. That The running theme in the New Testament is this constancy and regularity of prayer. Prayer is something we need to continue in, to give ourselves to regularly so that it becomes habitual. As habitual as uh, things like eating and breathing and sleeping. So it's intentional, it's regular, and thirdly, it's something that we need to put earnest effort into. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul is under no illusions that this intentional regular prayer is easy. He knows it often takes sweat and toil. So if you look down at verse 12 of chapter 4, Paul describes Epaphras. We've heard about him before. He loves the church in Colossae. Paul describes him in verse 12 as one always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. 
Epaphras loves the Colossians. He wants God to do great things for them. And he's clearly a man confident that God hears and answers prayer. But even for him, prayer takes effort. He struggles for them in prayer. And this word steadfastly in our verse this morning captures that sense of earnest effort and energy and struggle. It it literally means to be courageously persistent. Courageously persistent. We are those whom God has called to be courageously persistent in prayer. So important, in fact, is this courageous persistence that Jesus told not one but two parables to illustrate it. So I'll take us to both of those because I think they're so helpful. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And then in Luke 11, verses 5 to 10, he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And the point of both of those parables is to tell us that if even reluctant and unwilling human beings will honour another person's persistence, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father give good gifts to his children when we persistently ask for them. I love this, these words from Spurgeon. It is not possible that God should refuse to hear prayer. It is possible for him to bid the sun stand still and the moon to stay her monthly march. It is possible for him to bid the waves freeze in the sea. Possible for him to quench the light of the stars in eternal darkness but it is not possible for him to refuse to hear prayer which is based upon his promise and offered in faith he can reverse nature but he cannot reverse his own nature and he would have to do this before he can forbear to hear and answer prayer our very persistence in prayer that we keep on praying is a mighty expression of our faith in God's trustworthiness. It's a 
It's a mighty expression of our confidence in his many promises to hear and answer our prayers. God's promises are meant to be like the greatest motivator of all for us to continue steadfastly in prayer. His promises are there to give us confidence as we pray. His promises are what tell us that struggling in prayer is worthwhile. They are what assure us that every prayer we pray is heard and that not one single moment of intentional, earnest prayer is ever pointless or wasted. The Father who loves us invites us to boldly draw near, to draw near to his throne of grace with all of our needs and requests so that he can give us more grace and divine assistance in the things that he himself has called us to do. Now, I'd like to give a few more practical suggestions as we go along as to some things that might help us to grow in prayer. But, but let me just kind of ask the broader question at this point. Am I, are you, are we intentional about regular prayer? It doesn't have to be impressive prayer, but it, do we put intentional, earnest effort into regular prayer? Are we making the effort to set aside a window of time each day when we do nothing else but simply pray. Sometimes I think we can get far too caught up in whether we're doing it rightly or wrongly, or whether we're praying well. But the repeated encouragement through the New Testament is simply to give ourselves regularly to prayer. In many ways, there's not much comment on how well you do it, but that we do it. It's a bit like breathing. Um, Many of you, like me now, I'm not sure I ever asked for this, but you get an app now on your phone that comes up every so often to remind you to breathe. That's really handy, isn't it, in our busy modern age? But I guess people are concerned about breathing techniques and are you breathing properly and are you, are you getting the full benefit of it? We, we can all learn better techniques further down the line for how to breathe more effectively. But first and foremost, as every newborn baby knows, what matters most is that you just give yourself intentionally regularly and earnestly to breathing in some good doses of air. And it's the same with prayer. That's prayer life ingredient number one, intentional, regular, earnest effort. And God is with us to help us do that. Continue, says Paul, steadfastly in prayer. Prayer life ingredient number two is awakeness. Awakeness, Paul says, being watchful in it being watchful in it. Though we might often close our eyes when we pray, prayer is not meant to be a sort of a sleepy activity for us to doze off in. It requires alertness. It requires awakeness. It requires, Paul says, watchfulness. And that's a term that comes from being on guard duty. Uh, just think about how many movies there are, TV programs there are, where someone is able to slip into a secure facility because the guards on duty are, are not watchful. They're either dozing or distracted. They're usually either playing cards or watching TV or you know, feet up on the desk and they're snoozing. But it's no use being a guard if you're not committed to being vigilant and alert and watchful. And it seems to me that maybe the, maybe the real-life guards out there are the ones that do it well. And if you can't be a good guard, then become an actor and play the part of a, of a lazy guard. Um, it's no good being a guard like that. Neither is it very fruitful for praying. So in what sense are we to be watchful and awake in our prayers? Well, um, 
I kind of drew, drew some different thoughts together from across the New Testament. So I've actually got five ways in which it's, we ought to be watchful and awake in our prayers. First of all, it is a call to be awake physically. We should be physically awake when it's time to pray. Not sleeping when we should be praying. In Gethsemane, Jesus found his disciples sleeping when they should have been praying. And he admonished them saying, Matthew 26, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So, so literal awakeness and prayerfulness, they go together. A few of us might literally fall asleep when we pray. Most of us at least regularly get dozy or distracted in prayer. But being watchful in prayer means being awake and alert in it. Not neglecting to pray or dropping off to sleep when we pray. And so it might mean practically, and I feel the challenge of this myself, it might mean practically just going to bed earlier at night so that we could rise earlier in the morning with more alertness to pray. It might involve us getting up and going for a walk to stay awake when we pray or finding ways as we pray to just shut out distractions and remain attentive. So we need to be awake physically. Secondly, it's a call to be awake to gospel reality. That's the second thing I think being watchful here means. It means being awake to what's really happening. Not losing sight of the fact that we have already died with Christ and been raised with him. Not losing sight of the fact that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And that soon, when Jesus appears, we will go to be with him and appear with him in glory. It's, it's keeping our eyes open to the realities of which we've already heard in the gospel. It's having the person and work of Jesus, the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, right there before our eyes and at the forefront of our minds. John Woodhouse writes, When we see life and the world in this brilliant gospel light, when we understand what is going on, then we can properly hear this call to pray. Thirdly, I think this is a call to be awake to our needs. Being watchful in prayer involves being awake to our great need for prayer. Being alert to the dangers that are all around us because we have spiritual enemies in this present life. The world, the flesh and the devil, they stand arrayed against us. Paul has already warned the Colossians there are false teachers out there to deceive them. He's also exhorted them to put to death that old nature that still lingers within them. And with regards to Satan, the Apostle Peter, picking up on this watchful language, tells us, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The Christian life is meant to be one characterized by, for the present time, warfare and watchfulness being watchful for our spiritual adversary but the fact that it's watchfulness in prayer also tells us that we're not meant to battle alone we're not just watching out on our own and we're going to have to deal with it ourselves you know what what is the guard at the gatehouse meant to do to fight off the first signs of suspicious suspicious activity or attack what is he meant to do well unless he's rambo He's not meant to fight off the attackers by himself. He's meant to sound the alarm and get, uh, get back up immediately. Get on the radio asking for backup. You may have heard this from John Piper. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. 
not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. Our task is to be ever vigilant and watchful for situations and temptations and deceptions in which we see again our need to call on God in prayer. That's what we're looking out for. When do I pick up the phone to call on him again in prayer? It's true, God has given us gospel armour. He's given us his armour to wear. But in Ephesians 6, where that armour is described, it also makes clear that the way we put on that armour each day is through prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So watchfulness in prayer means we're ever conscious of our own deep need for God's help and that we're ready, primed to call on him at every opportunity for that help. Fourthly, we're to be awake to the needs of others. Watchfulness speaks of our being awake to the needs of other people. We're to be awake, first of all, to the fact that we are surrounded by perishing souls Surrounded by so many people that still need the gospel and, and, and that need to be awakened to their need for the gospel. And we, and we know that only prayer and the power of the Spirit can awaken them. We're also to be awake like Epaphras was to the needs of other believers. So that like Epaphras, we can wrestle in prayer for one another. Ephesians 6.18 again carries on. Keep alert. Keep awake with all perseverance, making supplication, praying for all the saints. Being alert to our own needs and alert to the needs of others is actually a great motivator towards more regular prayer. Uh, Just think for a moment about those times in your life when you have felt most compelled to pray, almost in some way like it was easier to pray. I almost guarantee it was when you were weighed down by an unusually great need either for yourself or someone you love, great need fuels a greater awakeness in prayer. But if you and I were more watchful, we would see how we're always surrounded by great needs. They don't just come along every so often. They are all around us. Great needs that can only be met and dealt with by calling on our great Lord and God. So it's an alertness to see those needs. It will drive us to prayer. And finally... Fifthly, it's an awakeness to God's answers. And I think it's, not impo- it's important not to skip over this. Uh, surely watchfulness also implies that we're looking out for God's answers to our prayers. Uh, and I have to share with you something again from Spurgeon. Uh, I love this uh, picture that he paints. He says, when you post a letter to a friend requesting a favour, you watch for an answer. When you pray to God for a favour, you do not expect him to hear you, some of you. I'm not saying that about you, but he felt to say that about his congregation. Uh, If the Lord were to hear some of your prayers, you would be surprised. I do believe that if God should send to you what you have asked for, you would be quite astonished. Sometimes when I have met with a special answer to prayer and have told it, some have said, oh, is it not wonderful? Not at all. It would be something to wonder at if it were not so. The church has but to ask and she shall receive. She has but to knock and the door of mercy shall be opened. But we do not believe this. 
We fritter away God's promises and clip the edge of them. And then we go to God in prayer and we think that prayer is a very holy exercise, but we do not think that God really hears us. Too many Christians believe it is their duty to pray, but really they're not so enthusiastic as to think that God actually listens and sends them what they ask for. We all know how encouraging it is when we see God answer our prayers. How it spurs us on. Maybe, maybe you, uh, I know in our home group, maybe in yours as well, when you pray together, you take the opportunity to, to ask, first of all, is there anything we've been praying for recently where God has answered that prayer? And, um, and almost every time someone answers, someone tells us the way that God has met them and responded to our prayers. And it is the, it is the, the, the best kind of encouragement as we then bow our heads and pray for more things, pray for more needs for one another before God. It's a great encouragement. It spurs us on. Yet how often do we miss that encouragement and miss the opportunity to glorify God because we're just not watching for his answers to our prayers? How often do we forget when we receive the thing we wanted that we actually prayed for it or asked someone else to pray for it in the first place? George Muller says, I believe God has heard my prayers and he will make it manifest in his own good time that he has heard me. So I have recorded my petitions that when God has answered them, his name will be glorified. Now those of us with good memories just need to be more awake maybe to those answers and make a mental note. But others of us with poor memories, me, might do well to write down what we pray for in some way, some kind of prayer diary perhaps, so that we can later return and glorify God's name for all of the answers that he has given us. So prayer life ingredient number one was effort. Ingredient number two was awakeness. Prayer life ingredient number three, finally and briefly, is gratitude. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's almost like I think Paul can't finish an exhortation in this letter without saying something about thanksgiving. This is the fifth time that he's encouraged thanksgiving so far in this letter. The first was in relation to their salvation. The second time it was gratitude for their growth. The third time, it was thankfulness for their fellowship together. The fourth time, it was, it was gratitude for the opportunity to serve. And here, the fifth time involves, I think it seems, being thankful for, alongside all sorts of other things, just the very fact that God hears us and responds to our prayers. So thankful in prayer, thankful for prayer, and thankful for all that God has done for us that we have seen and heard before. We just have so much to thank the Lord for when we pray. And the truth is, Christian prayer really can't be sustained long term without some measure of thanksgiving and praise. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that I think all three of these ingredients are essential to keep our prayer lives going. Maybe this one is, is the most important of all. Thanksgiving is like the oil that keeps the prayer, the wheels of prayer turning. Thanksgiving is, is like the sweetest part of prayer that ought to entice us because, because when we do it, it refreshes us and it restores our souls. This here as well also makes clear, if it wasn't already, that prayer is meant to be a joy-driven thing, not a guilt-driven thing. 
This verse this morning is not intended to instill guilt into our hearts. Because it is a call to come before God and express and be reminded of his goodness to us and express joy for what he has done. John Woodhouse writes, Like the whole Christian life, praying is energized by thankfulness. It's one reason why praying and singing go so well together. Singing is really just mostly praying anyway, just with a bit more tunefulness. And often with a special emphasis on thankfulness and joy. And so sometimes, often perhaps, finding a song to sing at the start of a time of prayer might be the very best thing. To just crank our hearts into gear. To get the engine of our heart going. To get us praying. Start with a song. Start by singing the praises of the Lord. And then, you know, you add in a little bit of regular Bible reading to that. And and there's no knowing where our daily fellowship with God might take us. And how we might grow. Well, to conclude this morning, to wrap things up, prayer is a gift that God gives to every one of his children. The way into his presence is wide open for every Christian to come and draw near in prayer. Uh, There are no set methods for how best to pray or when best to pray, although we could certainly share more tips and ideas with each other for, for what we found helpful. Let's definitely do that. You know, whether it's you find it helpful to sing or to walk or to keep a prayer diary or to pray the Psalms or to pray other written prayers or, or to talk with God while you're reading the word. One thing I will say is that one of the greatest helps to pray, especially if our prayer life has grown stale or vanished altogether, is, is to get with other Christians who are praying. See, we might think that the midweek prayer meeting or the pre-service prayer meeting are really intended for people who regularly pray. But they're really not. Nothing has better helped me to tackle my frequently recurring staleness in my prayer life than just to deliberately push myself, take myself into the places where I can hear and be stirred by other people's prayers and then say a hearty amen in my heart as they pray. If you come to a prayer meeting, you don't need to pray aloud. But come and affirm the prayers of those around you and you will be encouraged and stirred in your own prayer life. So if you're struggling to have a healthy prayer life right now, all the more reason to come, as Nick mentioned, on Tuesday evening and join us at our prayer meeting. That's exactly the kind of place where, as a church, we lock arms together and we help each other so that together we might do this verse. We might together continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And finally this morning, let me just just want to say a few words for anyone uh, listening here this morning who is not yet a Christian believer. Perhaps you've never considered before today this invitation from God to pray. Now I certainly can't promise that God will hear and answer whatever you might choose to pray to him today. He makes no promises concerning our prayers while we're still living as his enemies, far from him. But there is one prayer that I can guarantee, without a shadow of a doubt, he will answer from you in the very instant that you pray it, even here and now today. And it it is the very best and most life-changing prayer that a person could ever, ever decide to pray. Is summed up, I think, perfectly in a story that Jesus tells in Luke 18. And Jesus here 
is talking to some, some listeners who don't yet see their need to pray like this because they think they're doing pretty well by themselves. But here is the tale that Jesus tells, Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee as a religious leader and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Which is to say that this man arrived at church one morning, a, a sinner, a thief, and an enemy of God. But he returned home later that day, fully forgiven completely accepted and forevermore at peace with God. Now, how is that possible, we might wonder? It's because the one telling the story, Jesus Christ, God's son, came to die in the place of sinners like you and me and this tax collector, to take the penalty for sin that we deserve so that we could be treated by God as Jesus deserves. A brand new life in relationship with God begins always with praying this kind of prayer. Simple prayer. Asking for mercy from God. So this morning, if you've never done this before, trust Jesus with your sins. Trust Jesus with your soul. And whoever you might be, that prayer will most certainly be heard. There are so many people in this room, including me, who can testify from personal experience. We have been the tax collector. We can testify he so powerfully hears and answers that sinner's prayer to be saved every single time. We can testify how from that moment on the, the, the mighty doors of prayer get flung open. How God himself invites us then to come and bring all of our requests to him. And how he assures us that he hears every single one. How he looks on us from that day forth as his children, just as he looks upon his son. Prayer is without a doubt one of the greatest and sweetest gifts that God gives to those who will humbly confess their sin and turn and put their hope and trust in him. So may we all this morning embrace more completely this gift of prayer that has been given to us so freely and generously in Christ. Let's pray.